If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about Crunch Chocolate Bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. A recent NASA press conference detailing the American Space Agency's research into UFO sightings sparked headlines across the world about extraterrestrial visitors. But according to Dr David Clark of Sheffield Hallam University, such stories are nothing new. Matt Elton spoke to David to find out more and discover what society's shifting view of aliens can tell us about the cultural and political currents of the 20th and 21st centuries. Could you just talk us through, first of all, what's happened in terms of NASA's press conference they did and what's in the pipeline for this coverage of UFOs? This is a long and complicated story, and it all sort of sort of traces itself back to 2017, when there was this um, sudden upsurge of interest in what the Americans are now calling UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, and there was a story in the, um, I think it was the um, the New York Times, that basically said that the Americans had had this super secret Pentagon-funded project uh, that had been looking at um, reports that had been made by U.S. Navy pilots and other military sources since at least 2004. Now, that was a big surprise to everyone because um, the official line has always been that the US Air Force, they had this uh, project that ran from 1947 to 1969 called Project Blue Book that was the last time they did a a government-funded investigation of odd things that had been reported in the sky. 
And that basically reached a conclusion that there was nothing to worry about, no threat to national defence, nothing of scientific interest. Um, the University of Colorado was given a contract to produce a report, which they did, that pretty much signed all this off. And ever since 1969, 1970, the standard line's always been, we're not interested in UFOs. Anyone who sees them should just, you know, speak to one of the civilian bodies that investigates these things. So big surprise in 2017 that it turns out that um, they had this um, secret Pentagon project that had been in the background, clearly collecting and analysing uh, material. And obviously that has now become... Uh, much more in the public domain because the Pentagon has now set up a UAP task force. Um, it's issuing annual reports on the number of sightings made. And also NASA has been dragged into this as well in that they had this big um, public panel uh, that met live on YouTube last week. Um, and also um, they're issuing a report on the um, UAP material that they hold. Now, the thing with NASA is, because they are the space agency, and they report directly to the president, they've always had quite common sense that people who see UFOs or believe that UFOs exist or that there's evidence for being visited by extraterrestrials, people would expect that NASA would have an interest in that. But they've always been very reluctant to get involved. And I've just been reading a press release that they put out in 1978. It seems a long, long time ago when they were last pressurised into taking an interest in this subject. And I think back then it was the Secretary of Defence at the Pentagon who'd asked them to consider whether they should uh, reopen an investigation. So this is after, a, a decade after Project Blue Book had closed. And there was a lot of interest at the time because President Jimmy Carter had had a UFO sighting and there was a lot of speculation about odd things that had been seen by astronauts. And obviously astronauts report back to NASA on anything unusual, that's part of their mission statement when they're in outer space or on the way to the moon, as they were in the 1970s. So they've always been hovering in the background, NASA, and as a result of the massive public interest and interest from the media, it seems that they've now been dragged, kicking and screaming, it seems, back into the um, into the UFO um, culture again, that, that, that they're being asked to reopen the files, but they don't seem to have any new data. They're just looking at the same data as the rest of us. This is interesting, and there's lots of points that we'll get onto. One of them is, am I right in thinking that this shift in stance from NASA is partly because it's now easier than ever, than it has been historically, for other people, other bodies, private individuals, to monitor what's happening up in the skies? I think so, yeah. I'm not entirely sure what what NASA are hoping to achieve. I mean, I, I listened, I've sat through the public meeting and I've read everything they put out on the subject, but they seem to be saying that they want hard evidence. They, they, they're willing to look at people's stories, which is exactly the opposite of what they were saying in 1978. What they didn't want back then was what they described as noise. And it's got to be said that a lot of... When you open the floodgates, when you say to people, have you ever seen anything odd in the sky? You know, we want to hear from you. <laughs> you really are making a huge rod for your own back because you will be utterly inundated with accounts because all the opinion polls that have been done over the years have shown that if you go and ask a random group of people, have you ever seen a UFO, you'll get 20% of them saying, yeah, yeah, uh, 10 years ago I was coming out of the pub and I saw this odd light in the sky. That isn't the sort of data, really, that the scientists that um, are on this NASA panel and, indeed, the UAP task force are interested in. And the British Ministry of Defence, who had their own 
sort of on-off interest in UFOs for many years. This is why they pulled the plug on the subject back in 2009, because they were simply being inundated with poor quality sightings, anecdotes, things that people had seen 20, 30, 40 years ago, which is impossible at this distance in time to, to make any sense of. I mean, what they need is hard data. The ideal UFO sighting where you could do some scientific work on it would be where you've got two, three, maybe four separate observers all seeing something in the sky at the same time, all able to sort of use electronic sensors to triangulate that phenomena. Onboard video cameras, uh, radar, preferably radar on the ground and radar in the air, all the sort of high-tech computer equipment now that they have to monitor the skies, which, you know, our air defence systems are set up, that's what they're there for. So if there is this stuff, these things flying around that can't be identified, uh, they will be being um, detected by the air defences of the of the West. I mean, they must have this data if it exists. I don't understand why they need to appeal for the public to, to send in information. So you have no real clear sense of why NASA has made this big pivot in chains of its attitude? Well, I, I do have a clear sense. It's simply it's the pressure from US senators. There's a, a group of people very high up in the US establishment, and these are military people, these are politicians and senators, and their friends in the media and in the UFO industry, and that's what I call it. It is an industry. And they keep piling on the pressure. And the more articles that appear in the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the, um, the, the chatter that's going on online, it becomes a huge issue and everyone wants to be on the bandwagon. And this sort of piles pressure on government agencies to do something or to be seen to be doing something. And this has happened so many times in the past. You know, back in 1950, back in 1967, back in 1977, which I mentioned the NASA press release back then, whenever there's a big film or a TV series that has features the, the UFO mythology, you know, like when um, Steven Spielberg's film Close Encounters of the Third Kind was released in 1978, that coincided with the last time that NASA was dragged into this. Um, during the 50th anniversary of the Roswell incident, the late 1990s, massive amount of media interest and coverage. Our um, Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair, was dragged into it. American President Obama, he was questioned about it when there was interest in 2008. So it's driven by the will to believe on behalf of the UFO community, this huge body of people who are absolutely convinced that we are being visited and the government is uh, involved in a massive cover-up. And from the point of view of the authorities, people like NASA, British Ministry of Defence, various governments, it basically comes down to the fact that it's impossible to prove a negative. No one can prove that we are not being visited by aliens. How would you go about that? Even if we had the capacity to search every single star solar system in the universe and we couldn't find another alien civilization with flying saucers, someone would then say, ah, well, you've missed this particular solar system or this galaxy. They could be coming from there. So they're on a hiding to nothing, basically. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. 
talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So am I right in saying this is an example, historically speaking, of culture influencing the way in which political agencies operate? Yes, absolutely. No doubt about it. I mean, UFOs were created out of the Cold War, out of the Cold War tensions. The, the UFO idea that we currently have in our minds, that's not to say that odd things hadn't been seen in the sky before um, the Second World War, because they certainly had. If we go back to just before the First World War, for instance, if you look at any English newspaper or British newspaper um, just before the outbreak of the First World War, don't, don't look for flying saucers and UFOs, but you will see story after story about people seeing strange lights in the sky, beams of light coming down to the ground, long elongated objects moving around that they were convinced were zeppelins sent by the Germans to spy on the British Isles. This is in 1909, 1913, and lots of people were absolutely convinced that this was going on. But if you look at the the descriptions, they're, they're UFOs, and they are the same things that people are now reporting as UFOs, and they are things like stars, meteors, uh, there were no space junk back then, but there were certainly balloons and other meteorological things that people, because they had, they were worked up and they were anxious and they knew there was a war coming, and they'd been told, yeah, when the war comes, the Germans will be sending their airships over to drop bombs on us, and they were seeing all kinds of odd things in the sky, and I think there's a similar situation going on now, that we are all primed to see UFOs. You cannot escape from the subject. Even, you know, people living in remote tribes in Brazil, I I reckon if you went and and communicated with them, they'll have heard about UFOs either on the radio or they'll have their own indigenous um, stories about creatures from other worlds visiting. So it's everywhere. People who say, I had no interest in UFOs and then I saw this thing in the sky. I just think you might not have had any interest in UFOs, but I bet you've watched Star Trek, I bet you've seen the X-Files. So all of this informs real experiences that people have had. And I'm I'm not, there's no way in this world, not certainly not as a folklorist, that I'm pushing the idea that all people who say they've had strange experiences are lying or they're making it up or actively fantasizing. 
people have, see odd things in the sky. They always have done. And there are some things in the sky that we simply can't explain. And NASA have said that in their most recent press release. They've said that um, there will always be some incidents that can't be explained. But saying that something can't be explained isn't the same as saying it's a, obviously a visitation from another world. Because Occam's razor, basic scientific principle, tells us that you should always look for the most simple, straightforward explanation. And we have literally tens of thousands of examples of people who've seen things which they thought were flying saucers or UFOs from outer space, and they've turned out to be something completely different. You know, um, space junk, balloons, meteors, plastic bags. I mean, the, people have forgotten that it's only about 15 years ago the newspapers were full of stories about alien fleets that had been seen over all the main major cities of the UK, what did they turn out to be? Formations of Chinese lanterns. No one sees Chinese lanterns now and reports them as UFOs, but they were. You go back, look in the Daily Mail, 2008, 2009, page after page after page of photographs that people had taken on their mobile phones that we would now say Chinese lanterns. But back then, there were fleets of UFOs. One thing I'm interested in about this shift in government stance, do you think the previous let's say, critical position that was had among government agencies towards people who were reporting these sorts of sightings affected how this subject was regarded in terms of its stature or its legitimacy? Yes, because there is this idea, and people in the UFO community have this odd sort of cognitive dissonance in that, A, they say that they don't trust anything that the government say on the subject, that it's all part of a cover-up to hide the truth, i.e. that the, you know aliens have been here and crashed and it's all been kept secret from us. But then again, you get someone from the military or from the politician side who, who sort of chimes up and says, you know, I believe that UFOs as alien craft exist and that we should be taking it seriously. And those people then are elevated to this sort of special status that because they work for the government, therefore they must be telling the truth. Hold on a minute. This is the same government that you, we've just you've told us for years is is involved in a massive conspiracy. So, if you look back in the history of the subject, right from the very beginning, um, there have been people, and and from a British perspective, the most obvious person who talked to the media really a long, long time ago was Lord Mountbatten. You know, effectively a member of the royal family, and uh, he was hugely influential. And back in 1950. He spoke anonymously to one of Britain's Sunday newspapers back then, the Sunday Dispatch, who splashed the story right across the front page. You know, um, I believe in flying saucers. And it was like one of the most important people in the British government has said that um, these things are real. And he, he described them as like, you know, they're like the Shackletons coming from Mars to explore Earth. And he really, really believed in this for a few years. And eventually he went on to become the chief of defence staff, i.e. the most senior military official in the British government. But I've sort of gone through all his personal papers and you can see the change as he becomes more and more aware of the facts and he talks to some of the military um, people who've, who've dealt with reports that have been made to the RAF and the Royal Navy and he becomes more and more sceptical so that by sort of the early 1960s there's a, there's a little memo from him to um, the chief scientist at that time saying, should we open a study of UFOs and flying saucers? And the chief scientist comes back to him and says, um, well, what would be gained from it? It would be almost like opening a study of whether the Loch Ness Monster exists. 
And, you know, we know that there isn't a Loch Ness monster. And even if we drained Loch Ness completely and there was no monster at the bottom of it, um, they'd say that it had nipped out for a few minutes while we were doing the draining and it's now back in. You know, so... (laughs) (laughs) Again, we're back to you can't prove a negative, can you? (laughs) I mean, that's an absolutely incredible example. They did actually say this in an official memo as well. It's incredible. We've talked about this being a cultural idea that recurs often throughout history. Do the points at which it manifests itself tell us something about those moments in history? Are there particular points of cultural or social or political stress where these ideas come to the surface? Absolutely, yeah. This is what I'm interested in as a social scientist and particularly a folklorist. It's like, what? why is it that every now and again we have this resurgence of interest in the subject? And there's been various attempts to sort of examine this and when I was involved um, working with the National Archives when the Ministry of Defence released all their surviving UFO documents online and this was like a massive project ran over a five-year period from 2008 to 2013 and I had access to all these um, official records on the subject and I think I think we made various attempts to sort of try and sort of use that data, the hard data, like how many sightings had been reported to the Ministry of Defence on certain years, and try and link that to things that were going on in popular culture. And there's absolutely clear correlation between films and TV programmes about UFOs and alien life, and sudden spikes in the number of reports that had been passed on to the authorities. I mean, it's a, it's a very crude metric. You can't say it's like cause and effect, because there's this continual drip, drip, drip now. It'd be very difficult to make any correlation now. But certainly looking at those earlier decades, as I mentioned, 1977, 1978, with the release of Close Encounters, I mean, the Ministry of Defence, the number of reports that they received, I think literally it tripled. It went from sort of um, an average of a couple of hundred per year to, you know, heading for a thousand And there was even, I remember seeing reports in there saying, you know, I I saw an object in the sky over London that looked exactly like the spaceship from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So I think people are seeing odd things all the time. But I think when you raise people's awareness that there are things to be seen in the sky, whether it's an appeal for information in a a local newspaper or something like, you know, NASA putting out these public statements then people will they'll look up at the sky rather than looking at the feet when they, when they go out at night. And also people people's memories of things that they've seen years ago, they might think, in fact, they do think, you know, I'd better report that. I should have reported it at the time. So all that happens is the, the people collecting the data get inundated with noise and poor quality sighting reports and accounts of things decades old that could be anything. So there is this correlation. And also, it's not just with films and pop culture, because the the last statistic we had from the Ministry of Defence files was 2008 to 2009, that sort of period. And that's when they decided that it was costing an awful lot of money to keep tabs on this subject. And this is during the first period of um, the financial crash of that time when Gordon Brown was Prime Minister. And it was like, why on earth are we spending paying someone to log all these sightings and to have like an answer phone at at Whitehall for people to report things. Where's it getting us? Because all that happens is then people make freedom of information requests to see this stuff and it's costing an awful lot of money. So they just pulled the plug. But 2008 to 9, again, was the most massive spike of all 
even taking into account the 1970s with the film, the late 1990s with the X-Files, Independence Day, a massive increase in, in numbers then. But 2008 to 9, there wasn't any big film, but what there was was all the publicity about the release of the files at the National Archives that I was involved in. That got massive coverage and all the sightings of Chinese lanterns. So again, there is a connection with pop culture, but there are also events as well, things that happen. And um, one that sticks in my mind that I think I remember seeing as a child, New Year's Eve, 1978, um, there was a Russian satellite that um, was launched into uh, into orbit, and the rocket body from that satellite fell into um, towards the Earth, re-entered, and it put on this spectacular display. I think it was about 9 o'clock at night on New Year's Eve, and you can imagine loads of people were out and about heading to New Year's Eve parties, and the Ministry of Defence were absolutely overwhelmed with people saying they'd seen this thing. And interestingly, if you look at the accounts in their files... Um, not only did they see and accurately describe what is clearly um, a rocket body burning up, but some people said that they could see an elongated object with portholes and people waving in the windows. Some people reported it as a classic flying saucer. I even got one uh, report of this from someone years later, and it was clearly the same thing because they said New Year's Eve 1978, and they'd had it almost like as an angelic experience that they saw this thing as an angel that was that at a time of crisis in their life They'd seen this object in the sky and it had had a profound effect on the way they were feeling. So UFOs are in the eye of the beholder. That's the only conclusion you can reach. One interesting element of the current situation that's happening as we're talking at the start of June is there's been an ex-Pentagon whistleblower who's gone on record as saying that the government is holding multiple, I think, alien objects or vessels. Regardless of whether or not you believe reports like that or you believe in these sort of uh, stories and sightings does the fact that this whistleblower now feels able to say this on the public record tell us something about shifts in american culture across time in terms of government attitudes to secrecy in terms of people telling their own stories all those sorts of wider aspects i suppose well, the thing about the whistleblower is I, I just read this and I just thought, here we go again, because this is nothing unique. If we go back to 1989, there was a guy called Bob Lazar that came forward, very similar to the current whistleblower, who said that he'd worked at Area 51. His security clearance was so high that um, no one could check his credentials and he'd actually seen these grounded flying sources that the American government were secretly back engineering, et cetera, et cetera. So, so he, this current person that's come forward is just the latest in a long line of so-called whistleblowers. The story that the American government has, has got secretly um, hidden away in a hangar somewhere in the desert or in Area 51, is now preferred, isn't a new story. It, it first surfaced in 1950. Um, as long ago as that, that's 73 years ago, when a guy called Frank Scully published a book called Behind the Flying Saucers, and he said that he'd heard from two top-secret scientists who'd worked on the project that the Americans had retrieved, I think it was six or seven crash disks that had come down in the Arizona desert, that they were covered in hieroglyphs, the American um, army had secretly removed them, and that triggered off whole similar series of questions and statements as like what we're seeing today. And this was three years after Roswell. And that story is a good story. It's effectively an urban legend. That's what it is. It's been classified as an urban legend by Professor Jan Brunvand, who is the inventor of 
you know, the phrase urban legend. It's called the Landed Martians, and, it, and the legend is that the American government have secretly relieved these crashes. So this guy that's come forward is, is repeating a very well-known urban legend that has been circulating for at least 70 years. And the fact is, he if you actually pare down what he's saying, where's the evidence? Has he seen the evidence? And when you actually look carefully at what he said, no, he's heard from someone else that this is the case. He hasn't actually seen any of this. So basically, he's spreading a friend of a friend story. It's a classic urban legend. It's like alligators in sewers and phantom hitchhikers, etc., etc. And the, And this simple idea that because he used to work in US intelligence, therefore, he must be telling the truth. I find that a bizarre. So why should we believe this hoary old tale that's been regurgitated every few years and that dates back to 1950? But because there's this sort of bandwagon rolling and people are stressed out, they're anxious because of the cost of living crisis, the aftermath of COVID, isn't it nice to think that somewhere hidden away in the hangars there are these fantastic spaceships of aliens that have ridden across the universe like the 7th Cavalry to, to rescue us. It, it's too good to be true. Do you think, though, that... I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the past five, six years about the rise of conspiratorial thinking, particularly in America, with the sort of the rise of the far right and Trump's narratives around the election. Do you think there is a rise in this kind of thinking or are we saying the same as we always have through this interview that these are just manifestations of the same human impulses emerging differently at different times? Well we hear a lot more about these stories simply because of the fact that people are constantly posting about them on social media and you know back in 1977 I think there was as many people who were convinced that there was a conspiracy about UFOs is what, the, what there is now. It's just that they, the means of communication uh, were different. You know, people type letters to each other and they, they, you know, they, they sent photocopied uh, newsletters about this kind of thing, whereas now it's on Instagram, it's on TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's everywhere. So I don't know how you could quantitatively measure the quantity of it and compare it to what went on before. But I think it's pretty much the same ideas that have been circulating for at least 30, 40, 50 years. It's just that no one seems to have any idea of the history of this subject. They all think that the truth is is here now, that it's just around the corner. All we've got to do is get the government to admit that the, the truth. But I hate to sort of pour cold water on this, but people were saying exactly the same thing in 1952. And in 1957, that, you know, that whistleblowers were coming out of the woodwork then and saying that, you know, UFOs were real, the US Air Force had, had, had got evidence they were real, all we have to do is protest outside the Houses of Parliament and put pressure on our MPs and they'll be forced to reveal the truth. But you only have to read some of the um, background material, some of the, the government exchanges that have gone on in this country when that kind of pressure has been applied and there's these exasperated civil servants saying, how can we reveal the truth about something that we don't have? It's, it's, again, we're back to you can't prove a negative. Just because someone believes something is true doesn't make it true. I alluded at the start to there's that there's been a bit of a redefinition in terms of what are traditionally and always been called UFOs. Why has that name change happened and what's it changed to? Well, originally UFOs were known as flying saucers. So when they were first seen well, in the modern sense, first scene. That was in back in the summer of 1947. And, the, the, you know, everyone that's heard the story, this is just before Roswell, 
a guy called Kenneth Arnold was out flying over Washington State looking for a crashed aircraft, and he saw this formation of objects in the sky in echelon over um, Mount Rainier, and he, could, he was absolutely baffled by them. And the thing about it was they weren't saucer-shaped. They were like a batwing-shaped, you know, a bit like the B-2 bomber. And he, he was convinced that he was looking at top-secret U.S. Navy aircraft that they were experimenting with. So he landed, reported what he'd seen, and, and, and this was like, it was like a bit like what happens today. It went viral. And he was asked, what were they? What did you see, Kenneth? And he said, well, all I can say is that they look like discs. If you, if you got a saucer and you skimmed it across a pond, that's how it moved. And a news editor um, came up with the phrase flying saucers. And so that literally went around the world overnight. I know it's a, it's a bit hackneyed, but like it went viral. The interesting thing about that was flying saucers was then all over the media and people then reported seeing flying saucers, i.e. saucer-shaped objects. Now, let's just go back a bit because Kenneth Arnold didn't say that they were saucer-shaped. So that, to me suggests right from the very beginning of the UFO mythology that the media was involved in sort of planting an idea in people's heads about there are things in the sky to be seen and they look like saucers. And then people go out and they see things that look like saucers. You know, maybe the, they're sausage-shaped, but because they, they think that they should be saucer-shaped, they report them as flying saucers. So anyway, a flying saucer, if you look up the definition in the Oxford English Dictionary, it's a disc-shaped craft that comes from outer space piloted by, by aliens. That's a very clear definition. So in order to get away from that, in 1950, when the US Air Force were forced by all the political pressure at that time to set up a, an investigation project, they decided we, we need to get rid of flying saucers, so we need to come up with a, a military acronym, and that's where UFO came from, because it, it was like unidentified flying object. And because we were in the Cold War by then, they were looking out for Russian missiles and, and intruder aircraft, that's what they used, an acronym. But object implies solid craft. So we're back to flying saucer. And, and if you said UFO to people today, what do you mean by a UFO? The definition will be exactly the same as flying saucer. So I think what's happened is that the military and intelligence people have said, we need to get rid of UFO because quite obviously a lot of these things, the more inexplicable ones that are seen, are not solid craft. They are phenomena. They are plasmas. They are things burning up in the atmosphere. They are, you know, the sort of atmospheric phenomena that have been reported by astronauts on the International Space Station above thunderstorms, which are known as red sprites, for instance. They are not objects. They are things that people see. You know, a bit like a rainbow. If you saw a rainbow, it looks like a solid object. Or it looks like something that you could you could touch, which is where we get the idea about the pot of gold at the end of it. But if you drove half a mile down a road, the, the rainbow would disappear. So that's where UAP comes from. So they're talking about aerial phenomena, i.e. phenomena, things that we don't fully understand that are seen in the sky that are immediately unidentified to the observer. And I think UAP is a much more precise definition of these things. And that stands for unidentified aerial phenomena. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. One thing we've talked about a bit is the idea of there being pressure from within political agencies to investigate this. Why does that pressure happen? It's purely from, um, from the public and from the media. And they all feed into each other because the more media stories that there are, I mean, everyone is talking about this subject now. I mean, that the whistleblower story, for instance, even friends and, and family members who, who know of my interest but don't normally ask me about 
UFOs. I, I was getting emails from people saying, hey, what about this story about the guy that's come forward in America? So it, it's like you only have to get a groundswell like that of ordinary people asking about this and saying, is it true? I mean, it's only natural that people want to know. Is this true? I mean, it would it would be the biggest story in the history of the world if it was true. But unfortunately, it's not. And all you've got to do is apply common sense to it. I mean, just think, if the, all these spacecraft had come here and crashed, why have they all crashed in the United States, for instance? Why have none crashed in North Korea or Venezuela? And there is not a single subject that all the governments of the world agree on. You only have to go and listen to the meetings of the United Nations to see this. So are you telling me that all the countries of the entire world got together and agreed on one subject to hide the fact we're being visited by aliens from the general public? It just does not make sense. There's got to be a more common sense explanation. That was David Clark. David is Associate Professor in the Department of Media, Art and Communications at Sheffield Hallam University and the co-founder of the Centre for Contemporary Legend. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Sam Leal Green. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.